Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. We're glad you're here this morning. If I have never met you before, my name is Jared Shingleton, and I am the student pastor at the church, and I get the privilege to preach to you today as my pops, our pastor, uh, have been out of town leading a marriage conference, and uh, so I get to do this today, so I'm thrilled to be with you. Uh, The reason I showed you that video uh, is because I think it sort of ties into what we're looking at today, and I thought it was pretty unique, uh, that this bird, like imagine this, could you imagine being a bird? Like, we do, we're totally different with our own babies because we, like, really take care of them. Like, my, my, my son Judah, he's, uh, he's uh, several months old now, and, and with him, all we do, like, like, we just make sure he doesn't get hurt, right? Like, that's just the number one thing I'm going to do. Like, try to make sure he keeps breathing and that he eats and that he doesn't get hurt. Uh, but with these, these birds, like, they just wake up, and they're, like, 50 feet in the air. It's like, dude, if you want to do anything with your life, you just got to go for it. And, and I, I just saw that video, and I started thinking a little bit, like, what if the church looked like that? Like, what if we looked like that? You got this bird who is sitting on the top, and it can't fly. Like, if you notice, they didn't actually fly. Like, it just, it just came straight down. It didn't make it. It did not fly. But what we know is that a bird, it just sees this mama doing it. It's like, okay, mom can do it, so I can do it. Like, what if, what if the church was like, man, I don't know if I can, but I, I've seen God the Father do it, so I'm just going to try like, what would our church look like if we had that sort of faith? What would my family look like if I had the sort of faith that says, I don't know if I can lead and do this, but I'm just going to give it a shot because I've seen my Father in heaven do that, so I'm just going to go for it? And then what would your personal life look like? What would it look like when you're at work or on the go or even when you find yourself alone if you had the type of faith just to look around and go, all right, God, I've never done this before, but I've seen you do it, and I know you call me to do it, so I'm just going to go for it. Man, I pray we're that kind of church. And so I want to tell you this morning, we're in a series right now that's called You in Five Years. Everybody say, me. Me. All right. Y'all are good. Y'all are almost there. Y'all sleeping. Uh, So on the count of three, I'm going to do it again. Let's say me like you actually heard me. On the count of three, say me. One, two, three. Me. Me. Listen, this series is all about you. Who are you going to be in five years from now? Who will you be? You know, I think it's unique because you, you meet some people and you meet some Christians who you look at their life, you're like, I don't get it. It's like they're growing so rapidly, and here I am over here, and I'm not growing at that pace. And I've known some Christians who have been a believer for two years, and I talk to them, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how do you have this sort of godly wisdom? And then I've talked to some people who have been believers for like 45 years, and I'm like, man, I need to buy you a Bible or something because I, I, don't, I don't think you're missing it. And, and what I found to be true in the faith is that many of us think five years from now we're going to be stronger and more equipped spiritually to do the will and the work of God without changing anything today. Like if I, in five years from now, I can actually be everything God wants for me to be spiritually without ever making any decisions today. It's always the tomorrow or next week, or next month, or next year, and all of a sudden you'll look up and you'll wake up, and it's been a decade, and you're at the same place you were when you started. I want to tell you something. I just believe that, that we have a God who's in the business of growing the committed. I think that. I think we have a God, and I can't point to it in Scripture, but I can point to all the times in the Bible 
when God requires much faith out of his people. And when they give him much faith, God does, I mean, just unimaginably more in their life than they could have thought or imagined. And I just think God's in the business of growing the committed. And so I want to share with you a testimony that's not mine because, I, again, I'm, I'm just trying not to ask permission of things to do today. So there's a guy in our church who's sitting in our church right now who two years ago, a little over two years ago, he walked in on a Wednesday night. And when he came into the church, he was an unbeliever, but when he walked out, he was saved. And this amazing thing happened where at the end of our service, he said, you know what? I just need to give my life to Jesus. And what was cool is that he actually did, Right? Like, you ever been to a church before where everybody raises their hand to make to do something for the Lord, but you kind of like, man, I don't know. No, this cat, like, he came into the church, was like, Jesus, I'm actually going to give you my life. And then when he left, he was different, and God began to do things in his life. This guy, as a two-and-a-half-year-old Christian, has made sacrifices for the Lord that I don't think a mature believer would often do. He had been on a full-ride scholarship and a scholarship to go play ball. He said, I don't think God wants me to do that, so I'm going to walk away from that. And he's in this season right now where he is searching what is it God is wanting to do with my life because I'm just begging for that answer. And I'm just begging for whatever it is that God's going to do. And he is committed. He's in the word. He's praying. And you have conversations with this dude and you're like, oh my gosh, like you are growing at a rate that I think is only because of the Lord God Almighty. But I think it's because he's committed. And I'm going to tell you who he is because I think we should honor him. His name's Jalen. He's sitting right there. Y'all give him a hand, my man. Like, you don't know what's going on. And Jalen, I, I want to speak into your life, man. I do want to speak into your life because I think God is growing you at such a rate that he's got something really big planned for you, man. And I think it's time for you to begin to just say, God, I am open for everything because it's coming. And as a church, we got your back. We're going to help you do that, my man. But for some of you in the room, you would be here and you say, man, I, I want to have a story similar. And I want to be someone who, who is just so ready to jump into what God has for me. Let me just tell you something. It will never happen if you're never committed. You will never see God move in your life mightily as long as you stand in the gray. It just won't. And so our main point today is this. I want to remind you of it again. Our behavior must reflect the life-changing salvation that we have received. That's the direction we're going today. Today I'm going to give you three points that I believe will help us do this on a daily basis, things that can help us get into the rhythm with this. But I want you to hear me, man. Our behavior, what you do every day, every moment, it must reflect the life-changing salvation that we've received. Philippians 2 beginning in verse 12, says this. It's a unique passage. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He says, continue to work out your salvation. In my Bible, I have that circled. Work out your salvation. And it continues with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill, fulfill his good purpose. It says this in verse 14, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor or run in 
vain. And so Paul says basically four things in this text. He opens it up and he just says, hey, number one, I want you to know something. You need to work out your salvation. You need to do something more than that one prayer that you had a decade ago. Now, I am a firm believer that when you give your life to Christ, the guy saves you. He's with you. You're never going to run hard enough away. You cannot escape the love of God. But he says, would you daily work out this salvation that God has given you? Meaning there is more to your spiritual journey than a one-time prayer. That this is a daily, as Jesus would say, that you would pick up your cross every day and begin to work with God and to work out this salvation he has given me. Then he points out this. He said, it's God who is working on us to fulfill his purpose. Quick reminder, when God saved you, he didn't save you so he could fulfill your purpose. He saved you so he could fulfill his. Now, there's a special thing that happens here because that means that when God created you, he didn't make you pointless. That means when God shaped you and formed you in your mother's womb, like he had an idea in mind of the things he could use and do with your life, the things that are incredible, things that are so great, Scripture says, are unimaginable. And he made you for that. Right now, like you, age 15, age 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, I don't care how old you are. God still, if your heart is beating, has his plan for your life that he is working out in you. Then he points out this. He says, would you do everything without complaining or arguing? And in other words, he says, what you do every day actually matters. The way you live your daily life matters. Would you do things in a way that honors God? And he says, if you do these things, he says, do these things and you will shine bright like stars among them. See, the point of this text is not even to build us up as individuals. It's to build the church up. The point of this text is that the church would be a beautiful, incredible light that is sitting on a hill that everybody in the dark can see and run towards. That is the beauty of the church, that you see glimpses of Jesus, King of heaven, through his people. And it's so bright and it's so good that we have got to run towards it. But before we get to that moment, he says, hey, but just hear me out. you got to be working out this salvation thing. Man, you just got to be working on this stuff. There's a daily commitment involved. If you want to be that kind of church who when they say we love God, love people, and prove it, like you walk in and you actually sense it and see it, then you have a responsibility to fulfill it every day. Every day. Gandhi said this. Gandhi said, I like your Christ. But I do not like your Christians. He says, your Christians are unlike your Christ. And I read that to you as a sobering reminder that people are not looking at Jesus, they're looking at you. An unbelieving world is not looking at Jesus wondering if he is who he says he is. They're looking at you and say, do you actually believe that? My unbelieving friends are not in the Word every day. My unbelieving friends are not looking around for a church that they can go and attend so that Christians can encourage them and help them. They're not looking to get in a hope group so they can be a part of Christian community. All they're doing is looking at you when you don't think you're being looked at. All they're doing is looking at your Facebook account. All they're doing is looking at what you post on Instagram. All they're doing is following your Twitter feed. And they're looking at you because they don't know Jesus. And i got to ask you that question. When they look at you, do they meet him or do they meet you? 
people are watching you. And for most unbelieving people, they will determine everything they want to know about Jesus based off of you because if you know him, they should be able to know enough about Jesus, right? And so point number one I want to open up today is this. We must shift your focus away from yourself and to the Lord. If we want to do this on a daily basis, you must shift your focus away from yourself and to the Lord. I want to read you the passage for this. It's in Colossians 3, beginning of verse 23. It says this. It says, whatever you do. Everybody say whatever. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is is Lord Christ that you are serving. And I love the freedom of the text, and I love the word usage that he opens up. He just says, hey, whatever you do, because what he doesn't say is what usually I interpret, which is, hey, when you're at church, do it for the Lord. (laughs) Like, that's so easy for me. Like, all right, Lord, as a pastor of the church, like Wednesdays and Sundays, I'm going to come in. How you doing? Man, God bless you. And man, you didn't sneeze, but I'm still saying God bless you. And we're just taking care of each other. Man, it's so great. It doesn't say that, though. He doesn't say, hey, on Sundays or at church or in your small group, work with all your heart for the Lord. He says, hey, whatever, whatever you do, work as though you're working for the Lord. And I love the freedom. Because I want you to think of that, because the next question is, then, well, what are you good at? <laughs> That's the next question, naturally. Like, if it's whatever I do, what am I good at? So on the count of three, I want everybody in the room to scream something they're good at. So I'm going to give you a couple of seconds. What are you good at? Figure it out in your head. Just figure it out. Some of you are like, nothing. I'm not good at anything. Yes, you are. That's Satan lying to you. Don't listen to him. What are you good at? And on the count of three, we're going to say it. Ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. So I have no clue what you said. You sound like a big blur. But what I want to say is this. For example, if you're good at teaching or if you want to be good at teaching, do it for the Lord. Man, would you just do it for God instead of for man? Don't do it for accolades. I know you teachers already don't do it for accolades, but if you're good at teaching, do it for the Lord. If, if you're in the room, you say, you know what, I, I'm good at building Nissans, my Smyrna folk, yeah. Build a Nissan for the Lord, man. Build that car to the best of your ability and not don't do it for your glory. Do it for God's glory, man. If you're in the room and, and you know what, you're like, man, I'm an engineer or I'm an architect. Would you go build something that's so beautiful it just reminds people of God? Do it for the Lord. I love that in Europe I got to go on a, uh, on a trip to Rome and I got to go uh, speak in several different churches and share the gospel. And it was really awesome. But while we were there, uh, we got to go visit all these, um, like these old cathedrals that are just massive and huge and really, really old. And, and what I loved is, is the history on that like these christian architects and designers they would come together they're like hey let's build a church they're like hey let's make because this is for the lord let's build it so incredibly well that when people see it it just reminds them of god now what they did do is build a square box and write god on it like that's not what they did what they did was was they said let me just make this as beautiful and incredible and awe-inspiring that everywhere you look it's just a reminder of god and his goodness it's amazing if you're good at making big Macs, make it for the lord you may not eat it but make it for him bless his name amen listen i eat big macs for the lord and i pray that he will use it to bless my body 
It may take a miracle, but I'm hoping he does. You know, amen. This is why our behavior must reflect the glory of the salvation that you've been given. If this salvation you've been given is actually real, if you actually believe it, will you show it? Man, in worship, some of you just need to tell your face that you believe in Jesus, right? Like some of you right now, like, please tell your face you believe in Jesus because I think you're mad at me. For real. Look at y'all. Just tell your face. Now, there's some things you can't do for the Lord. Embezzling. Like if you're good at that, don't do that for the Lord. There are some things that don't fit the criteria. Like just if you're really good at lying, that's cool. But you can't do that for God's glory, so, so don't. There's, there's really like a simple way to determine how to live your day. Ask this question, can I do this, whatever it may be, to the glory of God? And if the answer is yes, go do a whole bunch of it. But if the answer is no, then cut it out. Drop it. Get rid of it. Move on. Let go. Because God has created you that no matter whatever, every single thing you do, he has designed you to do those things for his glory and to do them well. So that when somebody sees you, they begin to notice the Jesus you serve because you're not working for your boss. You're working for the boss. There's a difference. Point number two today I want to share with you is saved people save people. You've heard the phrase before that hurt people hurt people. It's also true that saved people save people. And if we want to be a people group who says that our lives reflect the glory of the salvation that we have received, then this must be true. I want to read you a passage out of Matthew 25, beginning in verse 35. And you know this because I've actually preached on this passage on a Sunday morning with you before. But just to be remembering this passage, it says this. Jesus says, I was hungry. And just to, just to give you some context, uh, Jesus, it's judgment day. And there's all this group of people before him, and there's people that he's about to allow into heaven, and there's people that he's about to cast out of heaven, and they're going to be sent to hell. And so he's actually right now talking to the people who he's inviting into heaven. And he says this. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So then the righteous people will answer him, Lord, when did we see He's like, well, I've never seen you. I don't know what you're talking When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did I see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison and go visit you? And Jesus, the king, will reply, truly I tell you this, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You did it for me. There was a video several years ago that went viral, and a lot of Christians saw it, and it really made a pretty big impact. Have anybody heard of the magicians, Penn and Teller? Raise your hands. You ever heard of them? 
Some of you? Cool. Yeah, they're pretty neat. They, they just do magic tricks, and they're kind of cool. Uh, well, one of the guys, Penn, he is a very outspoken atheist. Very outspoken atheist. Does, is not for the faith, is not for God, has, does not believe at all. But one day, there was this pastor who walked at the end of one of their shows, and he walked up to him. He said, hey, man, I just want to give you a Bible, and I just want to tell you I love you. I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. I just want to tell you that there is salvation for you if you would believe. And what was so incredible is that Penn walked away from this moment. He didn't accept Jesus. He didn't give his life to Christ. But it messed him up so much that he starts like self-recording this video of him just telling people about his experience. And he's like, man, I just really appreciate the sincerity of the guy who just told me that. He's like, it's like the guy I was talking to. He said, I never met him before, but it's like he actually liked me and he actually loved me and he actually wanted something for me. He goes, man, I've just, I just haven't really felt that from a stranger before. But then he goes on to say this in his video, and I want to read you a quote that he said in this video. He says this. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say to just leave them alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And this is from an atheist. I think he gets it more than some of us. If we actually believe the salvation we claim to have received, it not only should affect your day, it undoubtedly will. I love the, the apostles. These, these are just awesome. He goes, I can't help but speak about Jesus. What are you talking about? I can't help but keep on speaking of the good news I've heard. They're like, well, we're going to arrest you. Arrest me. I'll share it with the guards. We're going to kill you. Yeah, I'm going to see Jesus. We're not going to kill you. Great, I'm going to tell you more about him. I can't help but share the salvation I've received. You know why? Because saved people save people. My testimony, some of you know it, and some of you don't if, if we're new to meeting. Some of you who are new here, I really encourage you to go to Intro to Hope after church today, hear stories about this church if you want to be involved. Uh, but you also get to meet our staff and, and just ask whatever questions you have. But, uh, but a little bit about me and about my story. I grew up in church, obviously, man. My parents loved the Lord, and they, they had me up in church. And, and, man, I'll tell you something. I got really, really, really good at being a fake Christian because I was raised, like, around Christians, and I just knew what to say. And uh, so I got real good at that. And uh, the issue that I was dealing with, though, is, is I had never actually seen, met, or had an experience with the actual Jesus. I have just heard of the one that we had explained about being good and following the rules and, and kind of trying to do things right. But man, my story is simple. Like my dad told me at 16 years old, hey, we're going to Brazil on a mission trip. I said, cool, y'all have fun. He said, no, I've bought your ticket already. He said, oh, okay, see you there. And um, so he says, we're doing it as a family. It was his last run around to do this big, he used to lead these trips in Brazil, so this was going to be the last one. He wanted to take us all. So we go, y'all. 
And we get there, and it's cool. You know, I'm seeing some cool things. And in Rio de Janeiro, you know, I think it's going to be awesome, y'all. We are in, like, the hood of hoods. Like, we are in the slums. There's dudes walking around with guns. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, don't worry. They're going to protect us. I'm like, from who? Just in case cops come in. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, this seems so backwards. But it's what's happening. And, uh, and, and so I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and so, like, the first couple days we're there, like, I'm just kind of, like, not cool, right? Like, I'm just following these, these Brazilian Christians around, and we got a translator, and we're going to these churches, and we're going around, and I'm just kind of, like, like listening and just kind of watching this team do some stuff, and it was cool. But then, like, day three or four, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. We're praying for people. We're, we're sharing the gospel. We're, we're asking that God would heal people, and, and we're, we're taking them stuff. They need clothes. We're going to give them clothes. They need water. We're going to get water. Okay, wait a minute. We're actually doing Jesus stuff here. So I'm like, I'm about to get involved in some of this. So it's like day three or four, and, I, and, I, and this person, where he's like, hey, Jared, your turn. Hey, will you just share the gospel with this family? I'm like, huh, yeah, okay, I know how to do that. I've done that before, sure. Listen, y'all, I start sharing the gospel. These people give their life to Jesus. I'm like, oh, look at me. Huh. But there's a part of me that's like, I'm not sure I've ever done that. <laughs> cool. All right, so we go to the next house. We're praying for people who are sick. This guy says, will you please pray for me? I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm praying over this guy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I just did that. I've never done that before. That's kind of cool. And what happened in my life during this trip is I actually began to get involved in the things Jesus is involved in, so I met him. And I met Jesus there. And it makes sense, because in this passage, he says, hey, do this for the least of these, and you're doing it for me. So when I'm actually hanging out with the least of these, I happen to be hanging out with Jesus too. And I'll never forget, it was the last night of our trip, and your boy is just really, you know, I'm already 16, so I'm a little bit emotional, and so I'm already dealing with some things, and I'm just like, God, I think, I think you're so real, and I think I'm realizing you're real. So, like, all my already Christian friends are downstairs in this church, like, saying goodbye to all their new Brazilian friends, and I'm, like, up on the roof of this little hut in the slum, and I'm, like, just crying. I'm like, God, I think you're real, man. I think, I think you're totally real. And y'all, I begin to pray to God in the most honest way I ever have in my life, just saying, God, I need you to take it all because if this is what you're about, I'm going to be about it too. And gave everything I had to Jesus that night. Everything. But you know why? Because I was actually being a part of what he is a part of. Many of us think we're going to meet Jesus at the camp, but he's on the front line. We need to get out there with him. Point number three, my final point today is this. You are always moving. Everybody say moving. We need to wake up a little bit. If you hear me clap once, hear me clap twice, hear me say moving. You are always moving. Either towards God or away from him. You are always moving either towards God or away from him. God is not a fan of the gray. I love this text in Revelation 3, beginning in verse 15, because it is just straight to the point. It says this, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And the reason he's using this language 
is because back in the day, back when we didn't have all the fine technology we have today, you knew cold water was safe to drink because it's, it's clean. You knew hot water that had been boiled would be safe to drink because it's clean. But if the water was lukewarm, that's where bacteria grows. If the water was neither hot nor cold, it is full of bacteria and you cannot drink that water. And he says, it's like you, either be hot or cold, choose one, but don't sit in the middle. He says, I, I, I take a sip of the lukewarm water and I spit it out. Man, I, I was with some friends the other day and they came into the office and we were talking about motorcycles because we all at one point in our life used to have one and we just want one again. They were like dreaming big and this, kid, this one guy is like, man, I used to have dirt bikes. And he's like, man, my dad told me this though. He bought me a dirt bike. He says, hey man, as soon as you feel like you know what you're doing is when you're going to have a wreck. And he said, and sure enough, I got comfortable and had a wreck. But that's the same way with your faith, isn't it? Like you give your life to Jesus and you're following him so sincerely and you're running your race so incredibly fast, but somewhere on the journey, you just get comfortable with Christianity. You get comfortable with the flow of what's happening. So you sat down your Bible you thought you were okay, so you sat down, you stopped praying, and you, you came to church, you're here in body, but mentally you're somewhere else, like you're only here because you need to show face. Man, it reminds me of Luke chapter 6. I'll read this over you this morning. It says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He says, he's like this. He is like a man building a house who dug, a deep, who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not, I'm sorry, but the one who hears but does not do them it's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And Jesus just makes this point for you and I. He's like, hey, here's the deal. You want to know why your faith cracks every, team, every single time your life gets difficult? You want to know why your faith falls apart and instead of believing God and receiving a suffering, you begin to doubt him? It's because you don't have deep roots. It's because you don't do what he says. It says with your mouth, you say, Lord, Lord, but with your lifestyle, you do something else. He says that's why your, your faith is shakable. We have this weird logic in the church, and we have this weird logic in the world that makes no sense outside of our application to God. Here it is. We say this, God, I am coming to you, and I am praying to you. Now, if you do not answer the way that I am asking, you must not be real. We say that, God, I want you to do this. Well, God answers differently. So because God didn't come through in the way you told him to, I don't know if I believe. I don't think he's real. This logic does not apply to anything else in the world. Think about it. If you and me walk out to the interstate, I-24 right now, rush hour, you say, all right, Jared, I want you to go run across. And I look at you and I say, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And you say, well, I told you I want you to do that. Please do that. I'm like, that's not what's best. You may think it's best, but it's not what's best. You're like, no, go do it. It is best. It's what I want. And I'm like, it's not best. You just can't see me running on the interstate. It's not best. I'm not doing it. You would not look at me and say, well, because you're not doing it, I don't believe you're real. You would just say, 
you're not listening to me. You wouldn't doubt my validity. You just would be mad I didn't listen to you. But with God, when he responds with that is not best, we doubt the validity, but the logic doesn't add up. He just didn't do what you told him to do. Man, it's just bad logic. And so this morning, I would like to remind you, because sometimes we need some reminding of what it is, this salvation we've received. Because we're going to worship, and we're going to respond, and our prayer team will be over there on the right in just a moment. But I would like to remind you of something before we go into worship this morning. Please take a minute to remember that God loved you enough to actually gift you heaven when you earned hell. There was a time when mankind was right and good with God. We were in right standing with him. It was as he created us to be. It was as perfect as it could get. There was no hurt. There was no pain. There was no mental illness. There was no shame. It was all good. There was no world hunger. There was no, there was no wanting and not having. It was just us and God, how he designed it, and it was perfect. And God said, here's the deal. Don't do this one thing. Just don't go eat of that tree. Choose me instead. Daily, keep choosing me instead of that. Well, what do we do? We choose the one thing he led us not to do. And you may in the room say, you know what, if I were Adam and Eve, I wouldn't have done it. Yes, you would have. Who taught you to lie? How old were you the first time you figured out how to sin on your own? Yes, you would have. You've been doing it forever. It's like an infection, this sin, and it affects us everywhere else in our life. And so God gets to work really quick, right? Because he's a good God. And he's got these two options. Well, my people are now filled. They are totally filled with the one thing I hate. See, God hates sin. And the moment we chose it is the moment we became infected with it. So what's a God to do? Well, if I'm God in all of my own human logic, I would just say, well, in humanity, that makes sense. I love them a lot, but they are, they are flawed now. They are full of the one thing God will not allow himself to become around. But instead, in his love, he doesn't. He says, hey, I'm going to invent this thing called sacrifice. He says, I don't want to kill you for your sin because I love you, but I've got to kill your sin. You see, sin earns death. That's what it earns. It earns death. And so Jesus says, let's do this thing where you get a pure animal, a lamb most likely, and when you receive that animal, would you confess your sin over the animal? Would you just speak it aloud over the animal? And then it says, you, then after that, would you kill the lamb? And the lamb will die in place of you, your sin on the lamb, not on yourself. And you guys, we did this for thousands of years. We just kept it up, and we got more and more sinful, and we continued to reject God, and so God continued in his love to come up with new ways. Okay, not just a sacrifice, but look, here's the Ten Commandments. Just do these things. First five has to do with me and you. Second five has to do with you and other people. Let's just do this. Okay, so keep this up and do this, and what happens is God continues to give us, okay, we'll be good if you'll do this. We'll be good if you do this, and all of a sudden, God gets to this point where he looks down from heaven. He says, my people are too far gone to be able to do anything to fix this. And these are my people, my people I love. They continue to reject me. They continue to run from me. They continue to pursue the thing I tell them I will not be around. And so he comes up with this great idea. It's called Jesus. 
He says there's this one person who's good enough, one person who's great enough that if he dies instead of a lamb, if he dies, then it will not only take care of the sins of one person for a short while, but it could take care of the sins for all humanity for the rest of eternity. And so he sends Jesus to earth, his son, God in flesh, walking among us. And Jesus does two things, you guys. He models the life he asks you to live. The thing God has been telling us to do from the beginning of the moment we ruined it, Jesus actually did it. Like, there it was. He said, look, it can happen. He did it. My son, I knew he would do it. He did it. He did what I've been asking you to do and never did. But then it comes time for Jesus' life to end. He says, my son's going to go to the cross now. Because there's one more thing that's got to happen. You see, you guys can't keep up with the sacrifice, but sin still has to die. Your sin still has to be dealt with because you earned death the moment you did it. So he sends Jesus, and Jesus goes to the cross. He says he's good enough. He can die instead of you. And in that moment, the sins of humanity were confessed onto Jesus. Now, here's what's so great about that. This is not just the sins we knew about because God's all-knowing. He knew about all of them. So the sins you've ever committed in the past, in the present, in the future, for all eternity, God confesses these sins on Jesus Christ, and then Jesus' life is taken as a sacrifice for you. Jesus died for the sin you owed. And the goodness of the gospel today is that you get to be good with God again, despite your problem, despite the issue. You get the freedom of being good with God again. I love the freeing text in Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. It says this, For God did not appoint you and I to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Whether you are alive or have died, we will live with Jesus forever. And you get to be good with God again. That is the salvation God has given you and I. And that is why our daily lives need to reflect the glory and the goodness of what Jesus did for you and I to everyone we meet. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. And Jesus, we we say thank you corporately for what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for coming and enduring a sinful, painful experience that was ours to deal with. But God, Jesus, you came and you dealt with it. Jesus, you stepped into our problem and you made it right again. Jesus, you came down in the cross that we deserve, you took. And Jesus, the gift today that you offer to us is eternity good with you again. And so, Father, when we worship and when we live our lives, would they be a good reflection of the salvation you've given us that five years from now we would not be the same but our life would even more so continue to reflect what you've done for us father will we be committed that you would grow us it's in jesus name i pray amen 
well, hey, we're going to continue to worship this morning, and we're going to respond. And if you're here this morning, and you're just needing any prayer, our prayer team will be over here on the right as they gather that direction. You can go receive prayer. You may be here this morning, and you may say, you know what, Jared, you talked about salvation, and you've talked about Jesus, but you have yet to actually give your life to Jesus. Our team on the wall over there would love to pray with you and tell you about how to do that. And then you may be here this morning and say, you know what, I've just got some stuff to deal with with God this morning. I want to invite you to either where you're at or even down front, would you just bow to the Lord and pray to him as we worship? So if you'd stand up with this church, we're going to worship and respond to what God is doing in the room this morning. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.